So, years and years and years before Jesus walked, there was a man named David. And David was, uh, he was a shepherd, and he was a warrior king. And David reinvented and, and really understood um, military uh, conquest. He understood war. He understood how it was done. Uh, and he was, according to Malcolm Gladwell, a, a great man thinking about war ahead of his time. He was also a servant of God. He was also a servant of God, and he had a very different idea about what Israel is and what it could be and what it should be. And he was a man who, who looked to the future. You could say he's a visionary. He became a visionary, and he was like, wow, I see what Israel is as a blessing to all other nations. He knew of the promises given to Abram that your offspring will bless all the nations. He knew what it was to establish the nation of Israel as a place where the, the empires of old to the east and to the north, the Mesopotamian and Syrian empires, to the south, the Egyptian empires, would come to Israel and they would see what it means that God does it right and they would learn. But it meant that he'd have enemies. And somewhere through his journey of warriors and his journey of shepherding and somewhere in all of this he writes what we now have as one of the most famous passages of scripture we're going to read that right now psalm 23 you can read it with me if you would like out loud it's going to be on the screen uh, i think it's on the screen yeah you can read it with me out loud the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, this Good Friday, we have reflected on your greatness. We have reflected in song on your sacrifice. And today, as we, as we reflect on, on David and, and on Jesus, Today, I pray that our eyes would be open in the midst of adversity and trouble to see how you walk us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at some parallels here because, because David was really, really a good king. He was the epitome of what it was to be a, a good king of Israel. This is what it was. And, and we have Jesus. Jesus is our king the true king, the true Israel, the one who, who fulfills all of the covenant. And let's look at Jesus, and let's look at some of the parallels in this verse. And I'm going I'm to read this, this text, but think about this in terms of what we just read, even though I walked through the valley of shadow of death, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's look at, let's look at this in Luke 22, 3 to 13. 
Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number 12. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad. They agreed to give him money. And so he consented and sought out an opportunity to betray him in the absence of the crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So they... So Jesus sent to Peter and John saying, go prepare Passover for us that we may eat it. And he said to them, where will you have us prepare? And he said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So David, throughout his journey, even during his exile, experienced fear. He experienced the awareness of a threat against his life. That's what fear is, an awareness of a threat against his normal existence. He experiences it again and again and again. We heard about when David was a shepherd, it's, it's fear of the, you know, the, the threat of the lion, the bear. As he grows, it's the threat of Goliath and then of Saul. As he enters into being king, it's the threat of the armies around him. As he, as he makes his major, uh, major moral failure with Bathsheba, it's the, it's the threat of him not being faithful changes his normalcy and and david has enemies all around him and and so he you know i don't think there are many people here in this room that have experienced the noise and the fear and the clamor of a battlefield i don't think that we have any veterans here um, in in this setting but david has experienced the noise and the clamor of a battlefield. He sees the reality of the threat, the imminent threat to his own life. And he writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What type of response to the the imposition of a threat is you prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. See, the threat was real, yet God didn't take away the threat magically. God didn't make the Philistine armies just disappear. God didn't, God didn't just take all the threats away and make it so that we're all just comfortable. God did something different. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why would God set a table before us in the presence of our enemies? Our understanding of how God works and the awareness of a threat to our normal changes our expectations of God. See, what we've seen is is God says, okay, here's the threat. You see it. It's there. I didn't take it away. I set a table before you. 
What does that even mean? Why would God set a table before us in the presence of our enemies? Commonly, I hear people expecting that God's just going to remove the threat, remove the fear, just make me not feel that. Franklin Roosevelt says the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And in so doing that, he created a culture where we insulate ourselves so that we never actually even perceive the threat. We want to make sure that we're so many steps away from the possibility of threat that we never actually feel fear. Fear is the enemy. We don't ever want to feel it. But if fear is simply the awareness of a threat, we have to ask ourselves, what does God do with that? Our culture does not want to feel fear. And we say fear is bad and we want to push it away. But when we look at Psalm 23, David expects fear to be present. And God's action is a set of table in the presence of my enemies. So fear is present, but David will not succumb to the terror that it offers. There's an awareness of a threat. It's real. It's present. But the response is different. The expectation that God sets a table for us in the presence of our fear, that God says there's something so normal as eating, here you come, you sit, you eat. Right in the presence of fear, you go through the normal. You eat, you live. Eating is a place where you connect with others. You go out to dinner with somebody and you connect with them. In the presence of your enemies, you do something so normal as eat. God sets, he, he sets a stable experience for us in the presence of our greatest fears. See, fear has the ability to create instability in our life. It creates un, unclear visions of the future. It creates turmoil. It creates chaos. The, these, these are responses that we can have to the threat. And God sets stability in the midst of the threat. God stabilizes everything and says, here is a table set before you. I want to take a look at how Jesus approaches his own death. Jesus is fully aware of the threat to his life. Fully aware of the fear. His eyes are wide open. Let's take a look at how Jesus parallels what God did for David. Luke 22, 21 and 23. And the hour came when he reclined at table. And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat until, the, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took a bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you to do. Do it in remembrance of me. He's setting a table. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand who betrays me is with me on the table. In the presence of my enemies, he sets a table. In the presence of the awareness of the threat to his very life, he sets a table and says, here is the stability. We will go through what we have gone through for every year of your life. We will celebrate the Passover together. We will be there, and this will be the stability in which you face the reality of the threat. Sets a table before him in the presence of my enemies. Jesus is perfectly aware of the threat. The verse goes on to say, For the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to question each other, which of them could it be who is going to do this? He's perfectly aware of the threat. Jesus sets a table before his disciples in the presence of the awareness of a threat. He chooses stability instead of chaos, and he finds his own peace in the very presence of God. See, Jesus knows what it is to approach his death. He knows what it is to wrestle with his own mor moral mortality. He knows what it is to say, oh my goodness, this, this could feel like failure of my ministry. This definitely is rejection. I've been rejected by my own people. He knows what it is to feel the threat, the fears that you feel. He knows it. And he chooses to set a table before us in the presence of his enemy. Hebrews 5, or Hebrews 4, 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Someone on Slack just said, often God walks us through the storm instead of taking the storm away. There are lessons we learn, strength we would not find if we did not go through the hardship. He recognizes your fear. He sees it. And God sees it. Saw it just as he saw David's fear. Sets a table in the presence of of the enemy. See, how did Jesus do it? He knew that he was going to be betrayed. Why didn't he stop it? You know, if you're sitting in the space and you know that there are people that are going to be against you, your natural imposition is to stop it. You're just going to stand in the way. You're going, to, you're going to cut them off at the past. You're going to take their feet out from under them. You're going to protect yourself. You're going to do what it takes. But Jesus didn't do it. Why? Oh, well, because he was going to die for the sins of the world, and he knew that. Well, okay, sure, but think about what's in that statement. 
Jesus had a hope that was greater than the fear. Do you not have a hope that's greater than any fear that faces you? Do you not have a hope that is rooted in the truth of Jesus overcoming sin and death and and all of these things that we see as great pressures of fear on our life? Do we not have a hope that says that God will return and he will make all things right, that he will be with us, that this will go on, that we will be resurrected? Is that not the foundation of our hope? Jesus, too, had a hope. And he was able to see that hope. He accepted the threat. He said, okay, do your worst. Bring it. Let's go. He accepted the reality of the threat, and he said, this will not be the end. And he accepted it. And therefore, he could sit at a table in the presence of his enemy. Hebrews 12, 2 says, We must look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the vision of the future, that hope that has been birthed in each one of us who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that hope is inside of us, we can look to the future who for the joy set before him endured. We need some endurance, don't we? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame. He didn't, he didn't go in like, oh, this is great. I love it. So fun. Thank you, God, God, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Father. No, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, all right, let's just double check. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? No? Okay. I despise its shame, but the joy is greater. And in that, Jesus is able to absorb the fear. He's able to put his own life into an eternal perspective, and he invites us to do the same thing. Who for the joy set before you can endure the hard times, can endure the failure, can endure the rejection, because there's a hope for you that's greater than all of that. There's a hope of resurrection. See, death was not the end. Jesus absorbed the awareness of the threat of rejection and failure and death. He threw all his trust into the future that God had set before him. And the invitation is the same for you to absorb the threat To say, God has me, come what may. Just in my mind, I've got Job who who says, I am sure that I will stand with my Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, I will stand with him. I know it. Do you know it? Do you know it? 
Does it, does it orient your heart? You at home, do you know it? Does it orient your heart? Death is not the end. Too often in life, we see our fears as the end of our normalcy, and that's the great tragedy. Yet Jesus looks at it differently. Sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Stability, because this mortal body will put on immortality. I will be raised again. You will be raised again. And therefore, your faith is not in vain. We will be changed. And this is the hope that Jesus looked forward to. When we take such a view of these things, the threats to our normal existence are absorbed. We're able to walk through them. Normalcy will change. They're calmed because we have a peace that transcends our present situation. We can sit at a table in the presence of our enemies even though they might be ready to betray us and we can love them because we have a grander narrative. We have a greater vision. We can rest in trials and tribulations not because they don't threaten us, not because there's not a lot of shame or or. Or, or stuff that we're just like, that's not okay. Not because we don't have these Garden of Gethsemane moments going, God, is there another way? But because bad things, or not because bad things don't happen to us, but because we can trust in God's greater mission, who for the joy set before him. We need to look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him. The joy is a resurrection. The hope in which we abashedly hold to the fountain, the foundation of our faith that sets us free from terror. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And this is the story that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in an offer where Jesus says, let me lead you through the valley of the shadow of death so that that fear will not overcome you. It's not too great for you to bear. But God will carry you through. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, even until the day of Christ.